Some of you are noticing by now, because you're such a, a sharp group, that Pastor Ben is not here. You're looking around, you're like, where is Pastor Ben? Pastor Ben is with his family um, on vacation, spending some time with them, which, which is awesome. I am so happy for them to do that, and I, I've been praying for them that this would just be a relaxing time. I pray that you guys do the same, and just ask that God be with them as he spends some time with his family. And um, so I'm excited. So he asked me a few months ago if I'd be willing to share this morning, and um, you know, really I had an immediate peace when he asked me about doing this. Um, you know, most of the time when he says, hey Pete, do you feel like preaching next, you know, in the next coming up times? I'm like, I will if you want me to, but I'm not really, you know, I don't like have to. And uh <laughs> And so usually that's, that's my attitude, and, and, uh, but this time, I mean, I had an immediate peace. I just knew that, that this was a message that God had been stirring in my heart, that he gave to me um, for you. I've been meditating on it over the past several months, um, realizing, uh, um, for those of you who don't know this, we as a church have been walking through 1 Corinthians, which has been an absolute tremendous study. We're just like, hey, let's open up God's word. Let's study it. Let's ask some, some important questions like, who's writing this? Who's he writing it to? What is he saying to them? And what does this mean to me in my life? Important questions when you read the Bible. Amen. Amen. We want to learn. We want to draw this truth out that God has for us. And so we've been walking through this. And uh, Brother Aiken was with us um, a couple weeks ago as a uh, pastor was in Africa and just smashed it out of the park, did a fantastic job talking about First Corinthians. Were any of you here for that? He did great, didn't he? He really did well. He really did well. And so I was thankful for that. And I was laughing uh, last time he was here. It wasn't last week, the week before that, when he was saying, hey, I'm so glad I got chapter 4 because I read chapter 5 and I know what's coming. You know, let your pastor, he can help you out with that. And I knew that whole time as he said that, that it was going to be me speaking this message. And I was like, Lord, I need you now. Help me, God. Help me. And so I was crying out to God. It's a good place to be, isn't it? It is. But um, I'm excited. I am not um, in any way scared or nervous because this is the Word of God. Um, this is God's Word, and all God's Word is, is useful for correcting, training, instructing, and rebuking. And I'm excited to, to just walk with you through this and say, God, what are you speaking to us? What do you have for us? I want all of it. You know, we really, as we read the Bible, we take it as a whole, don't we? It is a dangerous path to, to just pick and choose certain things out of Scripture that I want to hear, I want to talk about, or I want to feel, or, you know, this, we got to take it as a whole, as God's Word. It's important. It's there for us, and it's useful in our lives. And I delight in God's Word, and in studying this, this message, I felt just God's anointing. I felt a refreshing and a peace in my spirit, and I'm excited to share this with you today. Um, so without further ado, keeping with our tradition in the first Corinthians, if you'd all like to stand with me for the reading of God's word, we're going to read first Corinthians chapter five. So if you have your Bibles out, pull it on out. Uh, there's 13 verses and I'm going to read them all. And so just bear with me. I'll get you seated as soon as possible and we'll, we'll plug on here, but let's, let's dive right in. Uh, first Corinthians five verse one, uh, Paul jumps right into it. He says, Hey, it is actually reported that there is sex immorality among you. All of you should be praying for me right now. Okay? And of a kind that pagans do not even tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put the, out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And as one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do, don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old, leavened, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindlers or adulterers. In this case, you would have to leave this world. But I am now, but now I am writing you to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an adulterer, a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are we not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Let us bow our heads and pray. Father God, we just come before you today um, and in your presence, God, and we just ask you, you just take control right now, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would all be open to the truth that is in this passage. May it come to life and help us as in our walk with you, God, to help us to become more like your son in, in, in his image. We want to be more like you, God, and I pray you help us in this time. Lord, I pray that you take control of this service. I pray that you put a bit in my mouth, Father God, as I bring forth your word, as we walk through this together, that I would not say or do anything that is not of you. Lord, may it not pass through my lips if it's not from the Spirit. And if it's a Pete Benson, I pray that I don't say it, I forget it, or you, you rid it from my mouth. And God, we just ask that you meet us here today, that you will be glorified and we would all grow in our faith and delight in your word. In Jesus' precious name, and all God's people said, amen. amen, amen. You can go have a seat. Thank you. Quite an interesting text we have here today, but to say the least, but you know what, I, I really am, I'm excited to do this, and Pastor Ben, he was like, hey Pete, are you okay with doing this, and I said, you know what, Pastor, I really am, I feel great, I feel like the Lord has called me to do this, and I, I don't believe that there's any other person that should be here instead of me, I believe this is ordained by God, and, and I'm excited for, for this message that, that he has for us, um, and as I said, this is God's word, and so let's dive right in, and let's get to it. Um, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1, you can keep your Bibles open. We're going to walk through this verse by verse. And it says this, it says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not even occur among the pagans. A man has his father's wife. Okay, Paul is addressing an issue here in the church. There's been a, an issue that's, uh, that's been going on, and, and even more shocking, that the church has done nothing about it. Okay, the church has done nothing about it. Seeming, in the way Paul is talking, the way he wrote this, it seems to even be common knowledge. Common knowledge throughout the church. Everybody knew about this thing that was going on. It has reached Paul's ears, who is not even present with them in that time. Paul's saying, look, there's something going on. I'm hearing about it, and I've heard, not only is this going on, you have done nothing about it, which is scary. This is scary. Paul's saying a man has his father's wife. He's confronting an issue. And sometimes we don't want to confront the hard stuff. We just want to hear the, the make you feel good stuff. But I tell you what, we got to deal with stuff as a church. We got to deal with the sin that's in our life. And we got to look it right in the eye and we got to confront it. And so Paul's saying, you know what? I've been doing a little house cleaning in the first part of this letter. I love you guys. I consider myself to be a spiritual father. He, he referred to them as their spiritual children. And he's been doing a little house cleaning. He's saying, look, I love you, but we've got some stuff to get through before we can get to where God is going to take you. And that's so true in our own lives that we first got to get right with the Lord before we can move on. And Paul's doing this. He's, he's addressing these things. And he's saying, look, there's this thing going on that a man has his father's wife. He says there is sexual immorality among you. And the word that Paul uses for sexual immorality is porneia. It's where we get the word pornography. And, it, and in that time when this was written, in the context of the culture, it was used for a range of different things. He even says like gossipers, swindlers, um, there are a list of other things, greedies, idolaters, slanders, drunkards. He's saying, look, there's this sin, there's this type of pornea among you. But then he goes ahead and calls it out. There's a kind that not even the pagans think is correct. And it's, it was incest in the church. And let me clarify something for you. That it wasn't, this man was not sleeping with his birth mother, rather one of his father's wives. And when Paul's saying, hey, he has his father's mother, he was saying that he went and he took one of his father's wives as his own and is in an ongoing relationship with her. 
He was likely to have been living with this woman, married to her. It doesn't really clarify. But the text and the way it is written lets us know, accuses us sin, that this had been an ongoing thing. This was not just a once this happened and, um, you know, it's done and over with. This is something that he was continuing to be doing that the church seemed to have accepted and have not dealt with. And so that's what Paul's talking. He says this pornea, this sexual immorality, this incest was looked down upon by the Romans, the pagans of their time that he was talking about. He's saying, look, this is illegal and looked down among the pagans. Imagine a Roman person walking and saying, check out the church in Corinth. They're doing things that we would never do. That's wrong. And we can all agree that that's pretty weird, Okay. It's pretty weird. That's pretty wrong. But you know what? The, the Romans looked at them and said, we wouldn't even do that. And just think of, of the witness of that church and how it discredited everything that God has been doing, causing people to stumble, to, to get a bitter taste for God's word and, and Jesus Christ and his ways. It was something that needed to be dealt with, something bad that was going on. And Paul's saying, look, I've heard about this, and we're going to deal with it. We're not just going to sweep this under a rug. We're not just going to say, hey, let's, let's not do it. This is something that the pagans don't even do. This has got to be dealt with. And so Paul was saying this ongoing thing needs to stop. And, and I can imagine when Paul heard about this thing, he's going, okay, yeah, there's sin in the church. We've got to deal with this. What, what's been done? And to his shock and horror and the church's shame, nothing had been done. Nothing. In fact, in verse 2, we learned that these people were proud. They were proud of their church that they were. Hey, we're the church with the open mind. Come to our church. We'll accept you no matter what. You know, they were proud. Verse 2 says, and you were proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? They were proud. That was, must have been really disturbing to Paul. And to us, it seems like a crazy idea that they could, they could be proud, that they could you know, just let this continue unchecked, unchallenged, unaddressed. But you know what? There is something happening to us today that we, all, we have become desensitized to sin. We have become desensitized to it. We, we, we see it so much, we, we don't even you know, have that initial disgust, this grief that Paul's talking about when we see it. We're just like, oh yeah, that happens. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. We cannot become desensitized to sin. You know, this thing was being tolerated. And I use that word strategically because that's a big word out there today, isn't it? Tolerate, coexist. It's out there. It's on cars, and it's been being fed to our children. That, that to tolerate, and I want to make this distinction, to tolerate does not mean that we accept it as truth or embrace it as right. Amen? Amen. We don't accept it. Though we are to be loving, though we are to show love, we don't have to embrace it as the truth. We don't have to embrace it right, and especially not among the church. And that's what's seeming to be happening, that this was being embraced as something that was okay. And you know what? We need to be scared. How scary is the day when we continue sinning and we no longer feel conviction for our sin? That is a scary day, folks. Very scary, and it happens all the time, and our children are being fed a lie. They need to be tolerant, and that means to accept this stuff that's going on. Just, just embrace it. No, that's not what God is calling us to do. We are to be loving, yes, but we aren't to embrace it and accept it as truth. And I fear for the day for our church when our children someday will no longer be able to solicit certain information about people longing to be a part of the church that, are, that is immoral, you know what I mean? That's immoral. Like pastors, we can no longer say, hey, you know, are you a homosexual? I believe that we are in danger if the church stands by and does nothing. We won't even be able to ask our pastors that. Now, how scary is that? It is scary. And this is, this is all stuff that's happening. So I pray for our future churches that that doesn't happen. I pray that we stand up and defend our right in a way that we're not considered haters as people who just want to point out faults. But we are as people who love and embrace, want to bring people in for their own salvation so they can be made clean and accept the Lord Jesus into their heart. That's what I pray. And I, and I worry about that. We don't want to buy into that. So let's not become desensitized to sin. Let us not tolerate it and embrace it as though it's a correct and right thing to do. 
We have to deal with this. And if we continue to leave these matters unaddressed, this thing called sin, this cancerous lump, that the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Is death. That's right. And this thing, I think there's no better uh, word picture that I could give you than cancer to liken sin unto because left in your body, it spreads and affects the whole doesn't it? It will affect you. You do not, you cannot go on with the rest of your life with all this sin in your heart, thinking the rest of your life is going to be unaffected. That is just not the case, my friends. The Bible tells us when sin is full grown, it breathes death in life. You will be hurt. There will be sickness. There will be death. And and it won't be good for you. God doesn't give us his laws and his things because he wants to give you a bunch of rules. He gives it to you because it's good for you. It's good for us. And it's what's going to help us to be in right relationship with him. That's why God gives us that. That's what's going on here. And Paul's saying, you are proud. You have let this thing go, and it is not good. We are not to tolerate it. We need to become disgusted by sin. I, if I could, this is a very special day. My parents and family are with me right here in this first row. My, my support team is here. And um, I always used to love when my mom, and this is really funny, would hear a swear word. It was like somebody punched her in the face. She said, oh, you know, and it physically affected her. You know, let us never, you know, be desensitized. Like, let us become just uh, dis- disgusted with sin. Let us become disgusted with it. Like, my mom was disgusted with swear words. And, and I like that about her. She's a great lady. You know, and so Paul, Paul's saying, let's deal with this now. Let's deal with this because you guys haven't done anything. You know, Paul defines and says, you know what? He, he, he suggests what their actions might have been. He's saying, hey, this cancerous lump has been a part of your body so long and is starting to affect the whole. Now it's beginning to spread. It's becoming part of who we are and what we do. And, and, and this cancerous lump needs to be removed. He says, dispel this guy from among the brethren. Doesn't that seem harsh? Doesn't that seem a little crazy? But really, when we know what sin is, we know what it does, we don't want it in our church, we don't want it in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's get it out for our own sake, for our own good. You know, unrepented sin. And so Matthew 18, verses 15 through 18, gives us four steps I'd like to take a look at it. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 18, verses 15. And Jesus himself tells us how we are to deal with sin in the church. He says these are four steps. The first being, um, the first of it, when dealing with uh, church members, let's read verse 15. It says, if your brother or sister sins... Now, my sister and my brother are here today, and my brother-in-law, very good-looking family. Um, You can see where I get it. No, I'm just, it was, um, anyway, my brother and my sister are here, but that doesn't mean, that, that does not limit it to my brother and my sister when they're sinning, does it? No, they're talking about brother and sister as in fellow believer in the Lord. You guys tracking with me? So this is talking about brothers and sisters in the church. This is Jesus himself saying these words. He says, if your brother or your sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now, I like those words. I like that it's just the two of you, that this isn't, hey, let's run and tell the pastor, hey, look, look what Susie Q's doing. She's in sin. She's got stuff going on. Let me call up my, my prayer partners and, and tell them all about the sin that Susie Q's in. No, this is one-on-one. This is saying, hey, look, I've noticed that you got something in your life that God's word says is immoral, says it is wrong, says that it is bad for you, and you're not dealing with this. I would like to help you. What are you doing about this? And nine times out of ten, that person will receive that and say, you know what, I am struggling with this. It's been a problem. Would you help me hold accountable? They humble themselves, repent of their sin, and are made clean. Most of the time, that's what's going to happen. And it's our responsibility as believers, as brothers and sisters, to go to them and give them this opportunity. Now, sometimes they may look at this person once you go to them together out of love, out of love, this is to be done. When I go to, I'm going to pick on Aaron because I love him. And when I go to Aaron, I say, brother, I notice you have this thing going on. I want to help you. 
Let me pray for you. I want to walk this with you so you can get victory. And he's a good kid, so don't think anything. But, um, you, know, that's, you know, that's how we're to do it. That's how Jesus says. That's step number one. Everybody say one. That's step one. That's what Jesus tells us to do. Now, step two, it says this. But if they will not listen, if they say, forget you, Pastor Pete. You're just, you know, you're just this Bible-thumping guy, and I'm not listening to you. Okay, if that's a reaction, then what? Then step two, this is what Jesus says. He says, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of the two or three. And I think this is key. At this point, we haven't gone before the church. We haven't spread it around. We haven't said, pastor, 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 look at what's going on. We have gone to a couple of believers that are known to be, they could be board members, they could be, uh, you know, just people who are trustworthy, who love God, love people, love God's word. We could go with them and say, look, Pete tells me you got this thing going on. Let's talk about this. And so they can begin to confirm. They can look at the situation and say, yeah, you know, really, brother, that's not good. That's against God's word. You've got to stop this. You know, we want to help you. Repent. Let's turn away. You know, and so of the three, now there's credibility. Now it has been confirmed. Now you've confronted their brother. And, and I, I honestly, I don't know many times where I've seen it go beyond that. When a person's heart was so hard they could not receive that correction that they could not see, if they truly loved the Lord, they truly delighted in His ways, that they would refuse to repent and to turn away from sin, it is rare, but you know, it does happen. It does happen, and I pray as a church, if it gets to that point, and if it has been confronted, then you go to the pastor and you involve the whole church. And this man is to be brought before them. This is step three. It says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church, the pastor, you know, it's the general congregation. And we'll say, and look, dude, you're giving us a bad name. You're doing stuff that's not right. You're driving people from our church. People are looking at us going, if that's what Christianity is, I want no part of it. What's the difference between you and the world? I can't even tell. There's no distinction, no difference. You're living in sin. You're doing stuff that even people who aren't saved wouldn't do. That's what we need to do. That's the third step. Bring it before the church. And if that person's heart is so hard, they cannot receive it from the church and from the pastor as a congregation. There's only one step left. One thing for them. And Jesus tells us, he says, if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Meaning that they, we, we are not to embrace them as brothers. They need to be out of leadership. They shouldn't be an usher. <laughs> they shouldn't be collecting, receiving the offering. Okay? That's what they're talking about here. You know, we should treat them as an unbeliever. And that's what Jesus tells us to do. You know, and, and it sounds harsh, but if that brother refuses, just think of how hard his heart must be to, to not receive that correction after walking through these steps and change. That brother is in a bad way, and we need, to, we need to put some separation between him as a member and, you know, can, you know he, he cannot be a member at that time. And so that's what they're saying here. But it's not to be mean. You might say, man, that's harsh, that's mean, that's judgmental. But Jesus himself was telling us that. Jesus himself was telling us that this is what we need to do. You know, and Paul's saying, look, guys, this has got to be done. Those are the four steps. This has got to be done. And he says, hey, even though, verse 3 in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, he says, verse 3, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. Paul is saying, hey, look, I'm not physically there. I'm not physically with you right now, but... I am spiritually connected to what is going on over there. Paul was a man of prayer. He prayed for them. He cared for them. He was connected. He was grieved by what was happening. He was saying, I'm not there, but do you know what? I am with you. I am with you. And this is our, what, what we would do, because I'm with you in spirit. He says, I've already made this call because you refuse to act, because you failed to do anything. This sin, this cancer has spread through the body and is affecting the whole 
I'm going to tell you what we should do. I've made this call with you because you failed to act. He says, I passed judgment on the one who did this as if I was there because you didn't. He says, this man needs to be expelled. And Paul instructs them on how to do this. He says, okay, this is not just on my authority. Don't just do this because I told you to. He says, we are going to do this. But you know what? It's not my authority that we're doing in this. Is He goes, this is how it's to be done, how this expulsion should take place. And I think expulsion's a word, but I don't know. Um, it says, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, so when the whole body's together, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. So we say, me agreeing with you, the church body, in the presence of Jesus, this is to happen. And this is to confront. And I would dare say, when that happened, and they gathered together, if this man would cry out and repent, the God, our God, would be faithful and just to forgive him, wouldn't he? But if he refuses, then he is to be cast out. He was saying, do that. When you're assembled, you're to cast this man out and hand this man over to Satan, verse 5, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. That's a harsh statement. And, and what is Paul saying here? Paul's saying, he said, hand this man over to Satan. Is he saying that, we, that God is to take this individual and say, here, Satan, here you go. Carry out my judgment for me. Carry out my judgment. No. God is righteous, and he does not need the Satan to carry out his judgment. God is fully capable of doing so. It's not what he's saying here. He is saying that this man is to be expelled from among the assembly of brethren into the realm of the world where sin and Satan run rampant. And we all know that, that what happens when sin is fully grown, I said it before, death being the outcome, the inevitable outcome for his sin, if left un changed, unrepented, they are, he's going to cast them out, and that's going to take place into Satan's realm. He's no longer part of the church brethren. He is to be a, like an unbeliever. And that seems harsh. That seems bad. It seems pretty crazy. But you know why they do it? He tells us. He tells us in verse 5. What's the end say? He says that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. There's a redemptive purpose intended right there. There's an intended purpose that when sin becomes fully grown, this man gets entangled and the consequences run their course in this man's life that he may cry out to God, see the error of his ways and say, I need to turn from this. This is killing me. There's a redemptive purpose for this man in this verse. Hallelujah. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. There's, God is doing this. This is to be done so this man might become saved. Salvation is the end goal. I want to make that clear. Paul is not just saying that Satan's going to get to wreak havoc on this man because he's a sinner. You know, like in Matthew 18, Matthew 18 says that he is going to be removed from the brethren and he's going to be out in the world. And, and I, I have a poem I'd like to read you guys. How many of you heard of the famous poem, Footprints in the Sand? Great poem, fantastic. Well, this poem is inspired by that poem, but it's a little different. It's more pertinent to what we're talking about today. And so bear with me here. Let's read this through before you get mad at me. The, 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 uh, the title of this poem is called Footprints in the Sand. Footprints <laughs> in the Sand. It's like the one. It's a little different. Let me read it to you. It's this. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen, the footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked, Lord, what have we here? Those prints are too large and round and neat, but Lord, they're too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for mild I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow. The walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired, I got fed up, and there I dropped you on your butt. He says, because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb, when must rise and take a stand or leave your butt prints in the sand. And I picked this picture out for you, just to bless you. 
And um, isn't that true, though? Isn't that true that when you continue to live in sin, when your sin is left undealt with in your heart, that, that the spirit becomes grieved? It's actually grieved. And God, being the jealous God that he is, he is jealous for you, and he refuses to share your heart with sin and immorality. God will not stay there. And there comes a time where God will actually lift his protection, protective hand upon you, not to be mean, not to punish you, but so that you may see the error of your ways. And that's what Paul is telling them that needs to happen to this man, that needs to be expelled from the brethren, that God's hand of, of blessing, now the, the spirit cannot say, stand to be with it because he's been grieved, and this man needs to repent of his sin because he refuses to do this. You guys tracking with me? This is, this is what we are to do. Isn't that true? You know, and the, that was the first reason. The first reason why that this man was to be expelled is so his spirit could be saved on the day of our Lord. That he can see, that, see his folly and turn from it. And sometimes, you know, we call it hitting rock bottom. Maybe he just needs to hit rock bottom. Rock bottom's called rock bottom for a reason. <laughs> Because it hurts, it's no good, and when people hit it, they don't like it, and they want to change. And sometimes God says, okay, you are refusing to humble yourself and to repent. I can no longer walk with you until you deal with this. And, and they're allowed to, to have that take. And the second reason why this man is to be expelled is because sin affects the whole body. That's number two. Sin affects the whole body. You know, it, it, it had gone on long enough, and, and the cancer was spreading, and it was time to do a little surgery. Okay, and then Paul in verse 6, Paul verse 6, he kind of changes gears here. And I'd like to note the difference of the gears that Paul kind of changes. Paul says this, he says in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Now, what is the yeast that Paul is referring to here? Sin, more specifically, was it this man? This man who he was saying, hey, look, we got to deal with this? No. It was something far more appalling. That their boasting weren't, wasn't good. The fact that they were proud. The fact that they were not grieved. He's saying, you know what, that's the root problem here. That's what really needs to be dealt with. You know what? Sin, you know, imperfect people go to church, don't they? Amen. I'm one of them. I can tell you for sure that I'm not perfect. Imperfect, go to, imperfect people go to church, and it's kind of, you know, these things will happen. Sometimes we'll have sin that pops up that we need to deal with. Paul's saying, what have you done? Nothing? Okay, this is what you need to do. This is what we have to do. This is what must be done. But then he starts addressing the real issue. He's saying your boasting is not good. Do you not know the little yeast works through the whole dough? And the problem he was referring to was their boasting and the refusal to confront sin. And that's what Paul's talking, talking about. Now, I have an example that I'd like to share with you. I'm going to need a couple of volunteers. If I could, um, team money, would you be so kind to help me? And then my brother Lucas, if you'd come up here and give me a hand here. Everybody give them a hand as they come up, as they hesitantly get out of their seat and make their way up here. I have a, a little example, just a, an experiment I'd like to try. Now, I have here some delicious brownies. Let me give you a napkin. We made a mess for a service. Crumbs everywhere. They were just devouring them. Aaron swallowed one whole, I think. Didn't you, Aaron? No, okay, maybe not, maybe not. So each of you, you can take a brownie. Tyler, you can have that one. Luke, there you go, bro. I love this. And my brother, Lucas, um, he looks nothing like me, but he's my brother. I love this guy. Um, and uh, he, uh, maybe you can see the resemblance. I don't know. But uh, anyway, um, so gentlemen, uh, have you had breakfast this morning? Tyler, did you take the time to eat? Breakfast is important. It's nutritious. Did right. you eat your breakfast? I did. He did. What about you, Lucas? Uh, he did not. So just to bless you guys, I would like you guys to try one of my brownies. Try them. It's really good. And I love you guys. You know. I love you both. And uh, so as you're eating, I want you to eat them right now. Just try them. It's good. Tyler, dig in. Dig in. So I made these brownies, and I made them myself. And I worked really hard on them. Super hard. 
I mean, the eggs, the oil, the water, mixed it up, did the preheat thing. I mean, they're good, right? Aren't they? Lucas took a bite. You both took a bite. They're good. They're good. They're good brownies. I could, I could tell you they're good. But what I did is I had to, uh, you know, I was nervous about them being good, so I made two batches instead of one. Two batches, okay? The first batch, I was like, you know what? I'm going to follow this, this recipe to the letter. You know what? I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it, the directions, you know, 425 or, you know, and I'm going to do this, okay? And so I did it, and I made the first batch of brownies to the letter. Congratulations, Tyler. You got the perfect ones. Now, now the other batch, um, as I was waiting for the oven to preheat for the second batch, Lucas, um, I was walking in the yard. And, and as I've said before, my brother and sister-in-law are with me. And they have a, just an adorable little pug. Pugs are just a cute little dog. You know, the wrinkle face. They're so cute. And I was walking through the yard, and I noticed that this little pug left me a present in my yard. And so I'm walking along, and I said, hey, that looks like a brownie. Why not throw it in there for texture purposes? So I threw it into the batch, stirred it in there, and uh, made these brownies. Now, Lucas, my question to you is, having that information on the front end, would you have accepted my brownie? Probably not. Are you going back for seconds? Are you concerned about even holding the brownie? Ooh. Thanks, bro. It's not good. And so my point is, is you guys can go ahead and have these brownies. I actually didn't do that because I would, that would just be mean. But I'm making a point here. You can go ahead and have a seat. Enjoy your brownies. They are delicious, and they're made with love. I hope you can taste the extra love I put in them. Okay? <laughs> so... The point I'm trying to make here is, is you wouldn't eat that batch, would you? Now, if I had called on one of you and said, hey, he doesn't want this brownie, how about you? Would you eat it? No, because it affects the whole bunch, doesn't it? Even though you can't taste it or smell it, it's there and it's not good. No bueno, okay? And so that's what... He's saying in these next couple of verses, in verse 7, he's saying, get rid of the old yeast... The sin that you made me a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. What's Paul saying here? How did the Passover lamb pop up? What feast is he referring to? Well, if you were Jewish in descent and you practice Judaism, you would have known right away that Paul is referring to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the feast that follows the Passover. And those of you who don't know, there's a, uh, many Jewish festivals or feasts that they would have to celebrate what God has done in their life. And one of them was a Passover feast. And this one is when they celebrate that God delivered the Jewish people from the Egyptians under the hand of Pharaoh where they were actually killing their babies because they didn't want them to become too numerous. Okay, this happened. And so the Passover feast is a celebration of that. God would sit, go to Pharaoh and he would say, I'm going to give this plague if you don't let my people go. He raised up Moses as a deliverer, sent him to Pharaoh with those words to let my people go or this is going to happen. And each time Pharaoh hardened his heart and, and uh, the judgment happened or the, the, the plague occurred and, and that's what happened. Well, the last plague the last curse, um, God was saying, hey, these are, this is my church. These are my people. They're firstborn among many brethren. Pharaoh, if you don't let my people go, then I'm going to take your firstborn and the firstborn of everybody in your country. And so God told Pharaoh that. God had been faithful nine times before that, giving them, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. Nine times. What in Pharaoh's mind would have been going through to say, you know what, no, I don't believe this tenth one's going to happen nine times. But Pharaoh said, you know what, nope, you ain't going, I'm not doing it. And so God told his people, he gave it to Moses and the church leaders, he says, you are to do this. You are to take a lamb and kill it and spread the blood over the doorpost of your home. And then when the angel of judgment passes over the land, he'll see that you are covered by the blood and you will be saved from the curse. 
And of course, this is all a foreshadowing of what Jesus was. We know that Jesus was our Passover lamb, that his blood covers us, so when the judgment of God comes, we're covered. We won't, insert, won't incur that wrath, that judgment. And so God, he's saying, okay, so don't do that. And following that, after he delivered his people, after he took them out, God called for another feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where if you were a Jewish person and still true today, if, if you were a Jew during this Feast of Unleavened Bread, you would abstain from eating anything containing yeast. And not just abstain from eating it, you would go through your cupboards, go through your refrigerators, and you would remove it completely from your household. Okay, and God did this to show that his people were set apart, that they were washed clean, that there was nothing in them, no sin in them. He wanted to take it all out. And so he was saying, don't, don't keep going on like you're with the old yeast. Get it out as you are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has died. You have been made clean. And God is saying that this has happened. Act like it. That's what he's calling us to do. And I realize, guys, that this is a tough message but, but you know what, we, gotta, we have to address this. It's our responsibility as a church, you know, that we need to. And so Paul goes on and he says, you know, I'm referring to this, verse 9. He says, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. In the same word, porneia. He says, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindlers or adulterers. He's saying in that case, you would have to leave this world. So he's referring to something he wrote them formally in a different letter. And he was saying, you know what, let me clarify on this. I'm not saying that you can't be around those types of people in your life because they're everywhere. To do that, you would have to seal yourself in a cave and eat earthworms and spiders. That is not what God is calling us to do as a church. Wasn't Jesus a friend of sinners? Jesus was a friend of sinners. He sat, he called tax collectors to follow him. He came to the uh, council, he counseled with adulterers. He came to their aid and he came to seek and save that which was lost. And we are to do the same thing. We are to go out in the world and be a light and to help others find Jesus in their life. So that's not what Paul is saying. He says, let me clarify that that's not what I'm saying. Paul is referring, referring moreover, let's go to verse... Uh, Verse 11, he was saying, But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral, porneia, or greedy, somebody who loves money so much that they hoard their wealth to themselves, they refuse to give a tithe or a tenth to God, who love their money more than they love other people. With a brother... Who's like this? No, don't be with them. It says an adulterer, somebody living in sexual sin. A slanderer, somebody who uses that sharp sword that flaps around between your teeth, cutting down, attacking, and spitting venom at people, causing deceit, de dissension among the brethren. No, don't, don't be with those kind of people. A slanderer, drunkard, somebody who goes, on, goes to church in the morning and on game day goes and gets smashed. Don't do that. Don't be with them. Swindler, people who, who are deceiving in their dealings, don't be like them. Don't, don't, you, they, the Bible says, with such a man, do not even eat. And of course, that's brothers in the church who are like that. And I want, I want us to differentiate the difference between how we deal with sinners in the world and how we deal with sin in the church is two completely different things. And I want you guys to catch that this morning. That's important. You know, because Paul says this in verse 11. He goes on. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel this wicked man from among you. And that was Paul saying. That's uh, 12 and 13. And Paul's saying, look, if... I'm not talking to you right now about the world, the sinners of the world. Because how many of you know we are to love people and help them find their way, but we are not to let our brothers in Christ live in sin and let that wreak havoc in their life because it affects the whole body. It will affect them first, their whole body, reap death in their life, and, and if it's allowed to go on in the church, it will affect the church. There's a difference 
a big difference. Because if somebody off the street who, who knows little or nothing about the gospel, who is not brought up in the church, doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, if such a person were to walk into our church and, and they reek like cigarettes, they look like they had a night that was not good, they're, they just look like a wreck, and you can see the bulge of the square in their pocket, and they're using uh, you know, a little bit, language is a bit racy, they're dressed a bit racy, and we go up to them, and we say, you're a sinner, and everything you do is wrong, and if you don't go to go and repent, you're going to go to hell. Okay, person, never, no, no history in the church. What do you think the reaction is going to be? You think they're going to want to come back next Sunday and figure out what this church is all about? No. No, in fact, they'll probably leave here thinking every single one of those persons judged me. They were hating me. I want nothing to do with them. I want nothing to do with their God. I don't want to be a part of that. If that's what Christianity is, count me out, and they'd be out the door. You know, there's a difference. And so that's not what we're talking about today. We want to love those brothers, walk with them, and through discipleship, help them to see how their living is not good and help them to find the Lord through discipleship and relationship and through love, showing love. Let everything we do be done in love. That's 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. So I'm going to bracelet. Everything you do, let's be done in love. You know, but what about the brother who lives in church? The brother who who is continuing to walk this sinful life out, who refuses to turn from his wicked ways, who, who is no different from the world, and in fact does things that, that even that sinner that was in here that we just drove out, he, this brother in the church even does stuff like that that guy wouldn't do. What do we do then? What about him? Are we to embrace him and love him and tell him nice things, things he wants to hear? Or are we to confront our brother the Matthew 18 way, in hopes that his soul will be saved. And I believe we need to do this as a church. I pray that we never have to, but I pray we have enough courage to do so if we need to. And now I know, guys, that this, this has been a hard message. That, But, you know, really, as I said earlier, as I was studying for this, as I was reading this, as I was, um, you know, really before the Lord, I had this refreshing Sense come over me. And I hope that you guys have this too because God's word is awesome. I delight in it. And when we realize that Paul was not so much concerned about dealing with this, he says, yes, deal with it, but that's not the bigger issue here. The bigger issue is you're intolerant to act, to sin, to confront it. But we're doing all of this so for our own benefit so we can be made clean, be made whole, to have right fellowship, right standing with God. That made me feel good. I was like, you know what? God loves me. He wants to clean me up and make me whole, walk with me. And so I don't have to have death creeping up in my life. And that's what we're doing here today. And so this is, has been a, a harsh thing. I, I, you're like, the guy yelled at me the whole time. I apologize. But I'm passionate about God's word. I'm passionate about this message. And I was excited to be the one to bring this to you today. We don't want to go around and condemn the already condemned. They're already condemned. What good is it for us to go around and point fingers? Let's love them. But to our brothers, let's help them. Help them find the Lord and walk in, in faith. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to close here. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Brendan, if you'd like to come, I'd appreciate it. All right, Father God, we just come before you today. And we thank you for your word, that it is good, and that you have redemptive purposes in us, God. That it's a love letter of how your desire to make us right with you so we can have a home in heaven. God, I pray that each one of us, as we look at this, would... Uh, do our own house cleaning of our own. God, if, they, if some of us are here and we got some stuff in our brownies, Lord, I pray that you would reveal it to us. I pray, God, that you would help us to see the error of our ways. I pray that we wouldn't wait to harden our heart. God, that we would act now, knowing that this cancerous thing, if left unchecked and unchallenged, will kill me. God, I pray that you, you help us. I pray that every person be looking inward now and asking God to forgive them of their sins, to make them clean, make them whole. If there's somebody in this room who has never had an opportunity to be washed, to be made clean, if you would say, if I were to die today, man, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. If I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to go to hell, I, I'm just uncertain. If, if there's somebody in this room today 
I encourage you, let's just put your hand up right in the air. Anyone at all, anyone who's saying, you know what, I want this salvation. You talk of Pastor Pete, I don't want death to creep into my life. I don't want judgment to be on me. Is there anyone out there? Now, I want to take a second look. Those of you who are saying, you know what, I may have some, you know, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, but I got some stuff. I got some baggage. I got some stuff I need to clean out. You know, I want to pray for you guys right now. I want to pray that, that God would just give you the, the strength, His grace, is His empowerment to live victoriously over sin. That, that His blood covers it, that He paid the price and that you can walk free. So I want to pray that God set you free today. So will you, will you uh, just agree with me in prayer? Uh, say this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for my sin. God, if there's anything in me that is not of you, that may be cancerous, God, I want it out. I want to live made clean, whole. I love you. Help me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Hallelujah. Well, church, I pray that you're going to be blessed over this week. I pray that everywhere you go, um, we all talk about, you know, being blessed, and God wants you to be blessed, but I pray that as you go through your week, that you go and be the blessing. I pray that you go find somebody to bless, to encourage, to, to love on. Go be the blessing. Be used of God. Dare to step out. Dare to be used. Ask God to show you. You know, God, who can I give this passion of the Christ thing to? God, what group, prayer group can I be a part of? Let's be the blessing this morning throughout the week. Amen. God, I pray that you just go before and behind and all around these folks as they go about their week. Lord, I pray that you watch over them and keep them safe. I pray that you would pour your anointing upon their households. God, I pray that you would speak to them in their times that they steal away with you, that you would show them great and unsearchable truth, things that are going to help them, things that are going to give them hope in the future. God, I pray that you walk with them. Lord, that we would be acknowledging you in everything we think, say, and do. That you will be glorified by our lives and people will be attracted to your kingdom by our love. Your love that it's in us. God, be with these people and bless them this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for letting me share with you. It's a pleasure. I pray you have a great week. If you need prayer for anything at all, these altars are open.